Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, that because we have met together here today, life may grow greater for those who have lost faith in it, simpler for those who are confused by it, more secure for those who would escape it, happier for those who may be tasting the bitterness of it, safer for those who are feeling the peril of it, more friendly for those who are feeling the loneliness of it, and holier for all to whom life may have lost its dignity, its beauty, and its meaning. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I've often been asked what my favorite liturgical season is. Now, maybe that's just a question that priests get asked a lot. But I bet if you think about it, you too would have a favorite. For as long as I can remember, Lent has been my favorite liturgical season. There is something that is so other about Lent, that even the, the joy of Christmas or the fulfillment of hope that is Easter Lent is a liturgical season that our secular world has yet to corrupt with hallmark cards and festively decorated sweets. Additionally, there is something that is so compelling for me as someone who is always mindful of how I can do more or be more or grow more. I mean, Lent it fits my Enneagram 3 personality to a T. But, confession time, this year I have really struggled, really struggled in preparing my mind and my heart for my favorite liturgical season. With the past two Lenten seasons being marked by the pandemic, the idea of entering into a third, with COVID still impacting our communities, even though things are so much better. When you add in the added threat of a currently happening war, that could easily become something that isn't happening over there. It has me wishing that the Spirit would have minded its own business and left Jesus alone so that we wouldn't have any grounds to spend the next six weeks, six weeks in the wilderness. I mean, isn't that where we've been? For the past two and a half years, haven't we just been in the wilderness? No. I'm pausing here to mostly explain to God that I'm not complaining, not complaining, uh, because we might get 40 years. So, just in observation. I have to be honest, I've never been more grateful for exegetical study than in the preparation for this sermon. I have now, for the past few weeks, 
been poring over our scripture for today, reading commentaries and diving into, you know, lexicons and word studies to find something to say to you. So here's what you get. First, the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan is found only in the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, and Luke. Mark spends about two sentences explaining the situation. Matthew and Luke are the Gospels that we use on the first Sunday of Lent, regardless of which lectionary year we are in. Last year, we heard the story from Matthew. And while they're very similar, there are some powerful differences. And the first is that in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew's Gospel, not what we heard today, Jesus is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. And what did we hear today from Luke's Gospel? Jesus is led, led by the Spirit. This year, I find it comforting that Jesus chose to follow the Spirit into the wilderness, that Jesus desired to be in a place, in the place, where each and every one of us find ourselves throughout our lives. By choosing the wilderness, it is yet another way in which we can understand that Jesus chooses us. And what he does in the wilderness, through the tests of Satan, not temptations, Jesus conquers the wilderness and drives Satan away. It doesn't change the nature of the wilderness for us. It's still a place of growth through challenge. But what it does do is place Jesus in the wilderness with us. Now, I can't imagine what Jesus went through, just him and, you know, all of evil. But that we traverse the wilderness with Jesus before and behind and around and over and under us. It is a balm, a soothing of frayed nerves. Because if in the two and a half years you hadn't learned it, and if you hadn't learned it before then, the wilderness, my friends, is unavoidable that we aren't alone in it, that we are filled with the same spirit as Jesus in our baptism and have him as a companion along the way. It brings peace as we make our way through the wildernesses of our lives. The second thing that I'd like to share comes from a mention in one of the commentaries that I read, and I, I just couldn't shake it. Now, I have to confess, I looked at a lot of commentaries, and so when I went back, I diligently searched for the person who said this, 
and I couldn't find it. So here's what you just really need to know. The next thing I'm about to say, not mine. The commentator was talking about how we focus overly on the tests of Jesus that we miss. We miss the other half of his encounter with Satan. That other half? It's faithfulness. And here's what I couldn't shake. We use our reading from scripture today to inform a lot about how we personally engage with the season of Lent. We focus so much on the ways in which we are tempted and in the ways in which we fall short. We pare down our lives as a challenge to hopefully acknowledge and be intentional with the presence of God, which is often overshadowed by our environment and choices. But, but, feeling tired already about the very visible ways in which evil is present in our world, the idea of doing anything that might make life harder than it already is, I mean, at least for me, doesn't feel like anything that I want to do. I think a lot of my struggle with Lent this year has to do with the fact that the way in which I've been intentional in my practice and piety in years past just doesn't fit this year. And this was the saving grace of a throwaway sentence in a commentary. What if Lent isn't just about facing the tests and temptations of evil? But what if Lent is also about a faithful response, if not a passionate response, to the realness of the brokenness within us and in the world in which we inhabit? What does faithfulness look like when we are tired? What does faithfulness look like when we feel pulled and pushed and stretched and contorted, not just past our comfort level, but into actual pain? What does faithfulness look like if we are less than certain about the joy of the Incarnation and that hope fulfilled. Well, that Easter feels very, very far away. I've been reflecting on faithfulness. And in doing that, I really only have to look as far as these pews and all of you sitting in them to see what faithfulness looks like. Faithfulness looks like you. In the short time that we have been together, which also feels like a very, very, very long time, 
I have seen faithfulness abound abundantly. I have seen it in individuals and collectively as a gathered body of God's beloved children. Faithful in prayer, faithful in worship, faithful in study, faithful to each other, and faithful to God. Now, don't think for a moment this makes you perfect. But when tiredness and fatigue and grief and anger, when disappointment and numbness and frustrations and sadness and isolation, when death presented itself, when all of the things that test faithfulness presented itself in your lives, you were faithful. You showed up. You struggled. You cried. You laughed. You made casseroles. You wore masks. You didn't sing. You sing so joyfully. You welcomed. You shared. You trusted. You all are living the truth that Jesus is with us in the wilderness. That Jesus has claimed the wilderness as a place where he is also. Whatever your Lent looks like these next 40 days, whatever you give up or take on, if you do nothing, know. Know that as you traverse this and any wilderness, that you were and never have been alone. And that the constant presence of God is not dependent on how little chocolate you eat or on what days you don't eat meat. In fact, the presence of God is not dependent on your faithfulness. The presence of God, the love of God, is grace. My prayer is that we together will continue to respond faithfully to that gift of grace in all of the ways in which we can be faithful.